Greetings. My name's Mark, and it's my privilege to bring the sermon this morning. We've been in a series in Paul's letter to the Galatians. The series is entitled Amazing Grace. And as Justin mentioned a moment ago, this will be the uh, last message in that series for a bit. We're going to have a message on generosity next week as we come into the holiday season and then the Advent series through December. So we'll pick up Galatians starting in chapter 3, beginning in uh, January. If you were here last week, you may recall that the the passage last week covered verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2, and this morning we're covering them again. That's not an accident or by mistake. That's because they're so vital and wonderful. We wanted to just loop through them twice because this morning... As verse 16 uh, does for us, we come to the heart of the gospel, which is justification. And verse 16 is just a wonderful declaration of that. So this morning we're in Galatians 2, verses 15 to 21, and Karen Vasegi is going to read the passage for us. Thank you, Karen. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thank you, Karen. Let's pray. Oh God, as we are assembled here as Folks are gathered with us online as well. In this moment, we know that profound and eternal things can happen. Your word has been heard by us and is in front of us. We also know that nothing might happen. So we appeal to you for your empowering presence. I pray this morning that for every person hearing this message, Justification, the heart of the gospel, would be clear and seen and understood. Justification would be something that each one would live in the good of. Justification would lead to a transformed life. And justification would be the message we go into our city with in the coming week and months. I pray these things for the exaltation of your great and glorious name. Amen. So we've been studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we've been hearing about a situation and a story. 
What's the situation? Well, the situation is this. These churches in this region called Galatia, they are full of new Christians and they've been infiltrated by some false teachers who are teaching a different gospel. So that situation leads to the story. What's the story? Well, the writer, Paul, the apostle, has been writing to these churches and he's been telling them or retelling them the story of where he got his authority as an apostle and where he got his gospel. And he's been reminding them that he didn't get his authority or his gospel from a school, from a discipleship program, but God himself called him as an apostle and Christ Jesus revealed this gospel to him. And he's doing all this to urge these churches and these believers not to turn away from this one true gospel. Last week, the story took us from Jerusalem to Antioch, this, uh, where this God-given gospel that, that, that Paul is preaching required him to rebuke the great apostle Peter, sort of the, probably the, the leader of the, the church in Jerusalem, because Peter had gotten out of step with that gospel. He was out of alignment with the gospel. So we've been, in these first two chapters, hearing about the gospel, a false gospel, a true gospel. But what is the gospel? What is the content of the gospel? What is, the word gospel means news, it's good news. Well, if the gospel is good news, what is the news? Well, this passage begins to unpack that good news, and it revolves around one key word. The word is in our passage Five times. In verse 16, three times, <clears throat> excuse me, we find the word justified. We find it again in verse 17. In verse 21, you may have the word righteousness in your text as the ESV has in mine, or you may have the word justification, and there may be a marginal note because righteousness and justification are, are, are two translations of the same Greek word, and all these words come from the same group of words, justified, righteous, righteousness, justification. What does it mean to be justified? Well, a starting point would be this. To be justified means to be set right. It means to be accepted. It means to be right with a person or group of people. So as an example, if you have a gym membership and you pay your monthly bill, you are set right with the gym and you can go in and use the facility. If you don't pay your bill, you're not right. Your record determines whether or not you can use the gym determines your standing with the gym. Think about it in a relational sense. If you have a friend who is kind to you and is a good listener and remembers your birthday, well, you're probably right with that friend, right? That's a, that's a, that's a good friend. But if you have a friend who's the opposite of all those things, that may not be much of a friendship. The sense of being right or righteous means to be in right standing with someone else or a group of people. And you can actually see the negative side of this on social media, right? Have you ever seen where someone posts something on social media and this mob comes and attacks that post and that person? That experience of being crushed by a Twitter mob is the sort of the opposite of being right. That's a person who's being canceled and no longer right with that crowd. So now let's ask if this 
righteousness, this justification has to do with being right with a person or group of people. What about with God? What does it mean to be right with God? What does it mean to be justified with God or to be accepted by God? Now, I'll tell you the most common answer that I hear to that question is this. If you try to be a good person, then God will love you and accept you. If you keep the big commands to love your neighbor and love God, of course, no one's perfect, but if you just do your best, then God will help you along the way, and in the end, he'll accept you, and you can go to heaven. To that idea, our passage has a shocking answer, and that answer is this. No one will ever be good enough to be accepted by God. If you want to have a relationship with God based on your record, your record will never be good enough to bring you into acceptance by God. So how then can a person be righteous, justified, accepted by God? Hear God's word. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There, oh dear saints, are some of the sweetest words you will ever hear. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to work our way through that verse 16 and through this passage. Now, there are some glorious and wonderful truths in here. There are also some parts of this little passage that are a bit difficult and can be a little challenging to understand. So we're going to work through it in three sections revolving around justification. Justification, what is it? Justification, why would anyone object to it? And justification, how does it change you. So verses 15 and 16, look back there. Keep, keep your Bibles open or on, if you would please, accessible. And look back at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I want to say, I, I don't know that there's a, a more beautiful sentence that's ever been penned anywhere, anytime than verse 16. But let's remember, verse 16 doesn't just drop out of the sky. It comes in the middle of a story. Last week, we heard in the earlier verses, uh, 11 through 14, that in Antioch, this big international city where a church had gotten started not too long after Jesus died, there was a bit of a controversy. Now, what happened there was that Peter and Barnabas and some other Jewish Christian leaders had come up there from Jerusalem and they were spending time there with these Gentile Christians. Now, in the Jewish mindset, there's kind of two categories of people. There's the Jewish people and the Gentiles are the nations, everyone else, everyone who's outside of that, that ethnic group and that covenant relationship with God. But as Jesus, as the word, the good news about Jesus is getting around, Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ and Gentile people are coming to faith in Christ. And so then in Antioch, you've got these people uh, uh, from both backgrounds getting together in church and having meals together. 
But there's a problem. Some visitors come, and as a result of their presence, we don't know exactly what was said, but as a result of their presence, Peter and these other Jewish Christians, they separate themselves during the mealtimes. They stop eating the bacon cheeseburgers at Five Guys, and they go across the street to the kosher Jewish deli. And so it's just the Jewish Christians over here, and then you've got the Gentile Christians back over there. Now, Paul sees the danger of this. This is the beginning of two churches. And so he rebukes Peter publicly for his public actions. And that's what we heard in verse 14. Now we pick it up in verse 15 and there's a question for us. And that is, who is Paul talking to? So you need to understand the background of this. In, in Greek, in uh, the common Greek that the, the, this letter was written in, there's no punctuation marks. So we don't have quotation marks. There are quotation marks at the beginning of verse 14 because the translators put those in to help us understand what's happening. The question is, where do those quotation marks end? The ESV ends at the end of verse 14, but other translations like the New International and New American Standard keep them going all the way through our passage because the question is, here in this passage, is Paul talking to Peter and telling the Galatians what he said, or is he just talking directly to the Galatians about what happened with Peter? I think it makes more sense that Peter is being spoken to directly by Paul and that this section that we're reading is actually Paul telling us what he said to Peter, which is why he begins verse 15 with these words, we ourselves. I think what's happening here is he's reminding Peter of their Jewish background and he's talking to Peter about their history together. So if I'm right about that, if this we in verse 15 is Paul saying, hey, Peter, remember our background. Here's kind of what, what he's doing here. Verse 15 is a little bit of a strange verse. It sounds like it's a sort of a put down of Gentiles. Hey, we're, remember, we're Jewish and, and by birth and not these bad guys, these Gentile sinners. But I think if, 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 if we can get what, what Paul's doing here, I think he's saying something like this. Saying, look, look Peter. Remember, you and I, we started out as Jewish people. We were circumcised. We kept the law. We lived in covenant with God. We weren't like the rest of the world that was going their own sinful way. But, and here's the shocker, but we know, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, Peter, remember that we're, at, we're actually on the same footing as all the Gentile sinners, right? Because there's only one way to be justified with Jesus Christ, uh, justified with God, and that isn't through the law. So we've set that law aside, and now we've come through faith in Christ to be justified by God. I think that's what's going on here in verses 15 and 16. So these are verses, words that are dense with truth, and it's actually going to take the rest of the letter to unpack verse 16 in particular. But let's just take a start at it today by asking two questions. First, what are these works of the law? And second, what does it mean to be justified by faith in Christ? What are these works of the law? Look back. If you look at verse 16, you'll see works of the law is actually in there three different times. We're not justified by works of the law. Well, these works of the law will be uh, opened up and explained at great length. Chapters 3 and 4 are largely a meditation and a reflection on these works of the law. And then chapters 5 and 6 are an application of what it means to be justified. So the idea here is that after God saved his people out of Egypt, 
the Exodus. He brings them out and he gives Moses commands and instructions for how these people that he's saved are to live in covenant with him in this relationship with him. And so things like the Ten Commandments and festivals and these dietary laws about what they can eat and not eat and who's clean and who's not. And the priests and all these sacrifices in the temple, all those things are all part of the law that comes to Israel as they come out of Egypt. Now, what are these works of the of, of, of the law, I, I'm arguing that it's all that God gave Moses, all those works that are required of the law through Moses. Now, recently some have argued differently and said, no, that's, that's really not it. These works of the law are just some identity markers that would have separated Jews and Gentiles like circumcision and dietary laws and keeping the Sabbath and things like that. I don't think that's accurate because as we come to chapter 3, we'll see that Paul clearly argues that these works of the law aren't just a few identity markers, but they're everything written in the book of the law. If you're a Jewish person, it's all the things that you need to, to be abiding by as you live in covenant with God. And Paul was one of those people who was zealously keeping all these laws. He says in Philippians, as to the law, I was blameless. I was doing everything that was required of me. But hear this. Even though he was keeping the law in his mind blamelessly, the law could not make him righteous. Because by works of the law will no one be declared justified and in right standing with God. The law could not make anyone righteous. The law could not bring anyone into acceptance with God for two reasons. One, it, it was temporary. And two, it was unfulfillable. Nobody could keep it perfectly, which was why they needed all those sacrifices all the time. So the law comes to an end. And you know what's at the end of the law? A person. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Messiah. So these works of the law are all the things that the old covenant, the old testament, the Jewish scriptures would have required to people of people who are in covenant with God. What then does it mean to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ? Well, as I said a moment ago, justification is a relational word. It's also a legal word. Justification brings us into the courtroom. Justification is the verdict from the judge that the accused is innocent or in right standing with the court and therefore with the, the state that stands behind the court. So the judge's job is to declare the innocent righteous and the guilty condemned. They pronounce the facts of the case. But here in front of us in Galatians 2.16 is not an ordinary declaration of righteousness. It's an extraordinary declaration of righteousness. Why? What we have in verse 16, hear this. This will help you understand who you are as a Christian, where you live right now, and what's coming for you. This declaration in verse 16 isn't a pronouncement just for today. It's actually a fast-forwarding view of what God will say about his people on Judgment Day. On the last day, God will declare guilty unrighteous, condemned sinners to be in right standing with him if they've tried to live a good life and love their neighbor. No. 
if they have trusted in Jesus Christ. Can you see that? Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Why does faith in Jesus Christ bring you into right standing with the holy judge? Here's why. Because Jesus Christ, in his life, he fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. There actually was one person who could keep the law perfectly. And then Jesus, on the cross, took the curse, the condemnation, in place of all lawbreakers, like me and you, who trust in him. So now... Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is considered by God to be in right standing with him. And you need not fear judgment day for the declaration of what God, how God finds you has already been put forth to us in Galatians 2.16. Justified. Right standing. Justification is the heart of the gospel. Now, why would anyone object to such a wonderful doctrine? Well, let me take you to verses 17 and 18. And these are difficult verses. I've been chewing on these verses for the last month. And I'm, 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 I'm going to give you the best I, I, I can do with them, the best understanding that I have. But they're challenging verses. So look at verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, there are several ways to understand what's being said here, and none of them are completely satisfactory. And so you find commentators with a, a, a range of ideas. I want to just briefly give you the, 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 the distillation of, of, of what I think is happening here, and I want to refer you to some technical commentaries if you want to get some, some, some wider ideas of other options. Following the story, we're going we're gonna to work from the context, which is what we always do. If you're trying to understand a passage of Scripture, always ask what's said just before and what's said just after. So the context here is we've been learning that Jewish people like Paul and Peter and Barnabas and others have come to believe in Jesus. And as they come to believe in Jesus, they realize that their relationship with the law is changing. They're no longer bound by the law. The law couldn't lead them to justification, but the law did lead them to Christ. It did its job. They found Christ through the law. And as they come out from under the law, they begin to do some some. Things like, well, they're eating non-kosher foods with Gentiles. Things that they couldn't have done under the law and wouldn't have done before. And when the people from Jerusalem, this circumcision party, hear about this, I think this is what happens. I think verse 17 is an accusation from Jewish people who are saying, shame on you. You should know better. You've abandoned God's laws. You're disobeying Holy Scripture. And you're doing this in order to follow this Jesus? Are you kidding? This makes you no better than the Gentile sinners. You're just sinners like them now because you're not under the law anymore. And it makes this Jesus a promoter of sin. How could you do that? I think that's what's happening here. I think it's an accusation. To which Paul replies, no way. Certainly not. It's almost like a Christian cuss word. That's as strong as he can say it. 
No. To look to Jesus for justification, Paul says, that's not sin, that's freedom. And we'll see that when we get to the rest of the letter. He says, do you want to know what sin is? Verse 18, it's what would happen if people like us who had come out from under the law caved from pressure from people like you and we went back to living under the law when we knew we didn't have to do that anymore. That would be like rebuilding the old barn that we just tore down. And that's actually what Peter was doing in Antioch and I had to oppose him for that. Why would anyone object to justification? This may sound a little obscure, but it actually is quite relevant and contemporary. See, these people seem to object because they saw that justification was promoting sin. That's what they, the accusation was. And some people still think that today. Some people think if you really preach grace, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, people will go crazy They'll be completely unrestrained. They'll sin like crazy because they'll know they're justified. And let me say two things about that. If you've never had that thought and wondering, you may not have fully grasped how radically counterintuitive grace really is. Because it's actually when you begin to get grace and you have a thought like that, it's an indicator you're actually getting how radical grace is. But the second thing I want to say is, if you really understand how justification works and what grace leads you to, you will see that justification in Christ doesn't lead to lawlessness. How could it? Because Christ and his Holy Spirit now live in you. Justification isn't a path to lawlessness. No! Justification is the only path to being freed from being slaves to sin and empowered to actually live a holy life from the inside out. And so that leads us to the third point. Justification. How does it change you? Look back in verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, justification doesn't just change your status before God, though it does. And what a game changer that is. But justification brings you into a new life and a new kind of life. How does it do that? Two steps. Look back in verse 19. Through the law, I died to the law. So what does justification do for you? How does it change you? Well, first you die to the law. What does that mean? Through the law, I died to the law. You know what that means? That means that people who were following the law, people like Paul and Peter, they come to the end of it, and you know what they find there? They find a person, and they find something else there. They find a cross. That's what happens. That's where the law takes them. And at that place of the cross, 
You set aside any hope of justification through keeping the rules. You die to the law. You acknowledge at the cross that you can never be good enough to be accepted by God. And thank God you don't have to. Because at the cross, you unite with Christ in such a way that his death becomes your death. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This means that you die with Christ in the sense that your sinful nature, those old, wayward, rebellious passions and desires are nailed to the cross and they no longer control you. You are set free from slavery to sin and you now have a new master and his name is Jesus Christ and he comes to live in you by his spirit. That's the second thing that happens now. You die through the law to the law and then you live a new life. Christ lives in you. Look back in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in my body, human life here on earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Justification brings you to a death and a new life. Christ lives in you. The new creation has begun. And it's working inside of you. The kingdom of God is present. The proclamation of the gospel, the conversion, regeneration of sinners begins this new work and this new creation that one day will be completed when Christ appears the second time and sets up his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. But now Christ lives in the believer by his spirit. Do you know that, brothers and sisters? Do you know that Christ is in you by his spirit? Christ didn't stay dead on that cross. He rose never to die again. And you are united with him in that indestructible life. If you are united with Christ, you can't die. Your body be traded in for a new one. But your life is hidden with Christ and you've entered into eternal life with him. Now, the life we live in the body, in the flesh, sin's ruling power has been broken. Do we still have wayward sinful desires rolling around inside of us? Oh, yes, we do. And you may feel in the grip of them today. You may be discouraged and disheartened about them today. But we need to know that those sinful desires are no longer in charge. Christ is. And now you are free to be able to walk by his spirit instead of gratifying those sinful desires. And we live this new life not on the foundation of law-keeping, but of Christ's finished work, Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Now we want to do good, not in order to be accepted by God, but because we have been accepted by God. 
How does this change the way we live? We're going to be unpacking this January and February and March as we walk through Galatians 3, 4, 5, and 6. But let me just leave you with one illustration this morning. Justin mentioned this during our meeting this, this week, and I thought it was a really helpful illustration. He just said, here's a question. What if a group of your friends invited you over to a meeting and they said, come on over and what we're going to do is we're going to share with you what's most true about you. How would you feel walking into that room? Yikes. Like, are they going to just expose all my faults and my shortcomings and have, have, have everything I'm ashamed of and embarrassed about and even things I haven't even thought of that I should be ashamed about? Is it all going to be laid out on the table? It's going to be awful. Well, not if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because do you know what's most true about you? Let this sink in. You are justified with God. You are declared righteous by the most holy judge. And Jesus lives in you. Why? Because you earned it? Because you were such a great person he couldn't imagine eternity without? No, you didn't deserve this. Do you know why he did this? Because he loves you. And gave himself for you. There's no other explanation. Do you know this is who you are? Do you know this is how you are loved? Do you know this is the ultimate place of stability and security? And nothing can ever change that. From life's first cry to final breath, he commands your destiny. You are in his hand. Oh, that's a game changer. If you can get a hold of that, it will change your identity, your stability. It'll change the way you live. It'll make it easier to hear criticism. It'll drain the power out of craving the approval of your parents or your spouse or the people that are on social media. It'll free you to love and serve and give without worrying about what people say or what it means about you. It will empower you to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I want to ask you this morning. Do you know this Jesus? Not just know about him. Do you know him? Do you know this new life? Do you know this great love? How can you receive it? Don't bring God your resume. Don't bring him your record of good works. Don't bring him all the times you've tried to be a good person. You know what you need to bring him? Bring him your sin. That's what he wants. And trade it in at the cross for new life, forgiveness, justification, rescue, being filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. You can't overcome your sin. Go ahead and try if you think you can. We are all addicted to our sin, but Christ comes to set us free. So I invite you, come die to your sin on the cross and rise with him to new life to freedom, to joy, to the power to live a good and holy and upright life with the hope 
of heaven, being in the Father's house forever. That's the power of justification and the heart of the gospel. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That good news? I get an amen to that. Yeah, amen. Okay. Now we want to respond to God's word by taking the Lord's Supper together. This is a meal for all who've repented and believed the gospel and are following Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, if you haven't been justified, please keep coming back. Come talk to me or any of us about what it would look like. But I want to encourage you not to take this meal, but to take this time to pray. Think about your life. Talk to Jesus. He's brought you here today to offer you this new life if you will turn to him with faith. Now, the Lord's Supper is a time of remembrance. We remember all that Christ has done for us. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be assisted in remembering by having the band sing a song over us. And so as you're sitting in your seats, as you're coming forward, as you go back and sit down, I want to just encourage you just to listen to the song. The words will be up on the screen and just reflect on what you're hearing so that we might remember the glories of this great and saving Messiah named Jesus. I'm going to pray in just a second. After I pray, you can come up right away. You can take some time sitting in your seats and, and meditate. You can come get the elements and, and, and take, some, take some time. Just take the elements back to your seat and whenever you're ready, uh, p- please feel free to go ahead and take them. So let's, let's pray. Oh God, what a joy to assemble together in the presence of the Holy Spirit and hear your great word to us that in Christ we are justified. Make those truths wonderful and alive to us as we share in the Lord's Supper now, I pray. Amen.
stand and we can sing you've been so so good to me so as a church let us just sing that this morning that god you have been so so good to us so good. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first to gather with you today. Just a reminder again that we have a member meeting at 1215 today, so there's not the normal lunch that we have afterwards. So if you do have kids and Grace Kids, please go get them promptly. And if you would like to use child care today for the member meeting, that's for ages six and under, and that will be in room 104. Every week we end our time together with a benediction, which is kind of like a blessing for the road. So listen to again to these words from Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, the most true thing about you, if you've placed your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus, is that you have been crucified with Christ. You are a new creation. 
The old is gone and the new has come. So go now from here, resting in that reality as you encounter the week ahead. Amen. Peace be with you.